So we're here at the Dallas Fantasy Fair. I'm Alex with CBH, and we're talking with legendary comic book artist and inker Mike Royer. Mike, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm having a ball. I haven't been in Texas since 1979. <laughs> now, Mike, you were born in 1941, yep. Okay, so you've been around for a good while, and you moved to California. You're working on comics like Gold Key Comics. You were inking for people like Tony Strobel. Because it was Gold Key, you were working on some Disney products even as early as then, and that was when you were 24 years old. My first work was assisting Russ Manning. And through Russ Manning, I met Mike Ahrens, who became a real mentor for me, and he hired me to ink the in-between artwork they were producing at Grant Trail Lawrence Animation on the Marvel superheroes because it was basically stat work from Marvel artwork, and then they would extend and finish drawings and do an in-between, and I actually wound up drawing in-between drawings. And my whole career was just being in the right place at the right time. When Marvel Superheroes was finished, they went on hiatus at the same time that Western Publishing wanted more work from Russ Manning. And Russ Manning said, the only way I can give you more work is if Mike Royer is assisting me. And I can't pay him a living wage just to assist. So Gold Key Comics called me and said, would you like to come in and pick up some work? Because they wanted all that more work out of Russ. Uh, a few months later... The animation studio called and said, we're back in production. We're going to do the first Saturday morning Amazing Spider-Man. Will you come in? And I talked to the new production manager and should have realized right then that it was weird because he came from the construction trade. And I said, I can so busy, I can only give you 20 hours a week. And he said, well, Mike, if you only do 20 hours, we cannot give you screen credit. And being a naive 20-something, I didn't realize if I'd gone to the Screen Cartoonist Union, which I was a member of, and told him about it, they would have jumped all over him, and I would have gotten credit because I laid out over one-third of those 20 episodes. And I worked directly with Grant Simmons, who was Grant of Grant Ray Lawrence, and he wanted me to be the voice of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, Lawrence, the money man in New York, wanted to stick with non-union Trillum in Canada. But after the third week of working directly with Grant Simmons... He said, Mike, we have a problem. Everybody at the studio is madder than hell at you. And I said, why? He said, because in your 20 hours, you're doing more work than they do in 40 hours in-house. So I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he says, bill me for 40. Yeah, you've always had a huge work ethic, and I think a lot of people know that about you. Howard Shaken, Howard Shaken once at San Diego Comic-Con walked over and he says, Mike, you are my idol. And at first, I thought he was being smart-alecky. But I realized over the years that what he was saying is he liked my work ethic. Because Howard's a guy that draws something every day. He, in my opinion, is one of the most sophisticated, erudite, intelligent artists I've ever met in my life. I have great respect for him. Yeah, I agree. So you were talking about the Amazing Spider-Man cartoon and then Gold Key. And you also inked Tarzan and Magnus Robot Fighter for Russ Manning. Is that correct? Yeah, I assisted him on those books. Over the years, as things progressed, there was the night that I got the phone call from Jack Kirby. As Jack, Jack phoned me. <laughs> and I started working for him, and it became a 10-year association. And that was in the early 1970s when that happened? It was late 1968. I did a lot of stuff with Jack for Marvel Mania merchandise, uh, inked a lot of his things like the Toys for Tots Drive for the Marines did every, every December. 
and and I think I was when I inked as God's pictures that uh, hung in his home. They were his own personal things. And then I was supposed to be part of the plan when he went from Marvel to D.C. They didn't want me. Uh, it was either they didn't know I'd been in the business already five years or they liked the cheap rate they were getting from Vinny. But after four issues of all the New World, Fourth World books, they finally acquiesced to Jack's wishes, and I believed that they were convinced that I would fail. Then the books would go back to New York, and they would have the control they wanted. To their chagrin, I didn't fail. I'm the only guy that kept up with Jack. Everything he penciled, I inked and lettered. And there was a short period where I took a hiatus from Jack and wrote and drew a 44-page graphic novel called Jane for European market, did some Tarzan stories, one of which I have a print on my table. And I'm proud of that because I started in my career inking Russ Manning, and that is a page of my Tarzan artwork inked by Russ Manning. But, shoot, at some point in 1979... I was working with Russ on Star Wars and Tarzan. He eventually signed the Tarzan Sunday pages, Manning and Royer. But I got a call from Sparky Moore, who was one of my mentors when I moved to California in 65, and he said, Disney is looking for some freelancers to work on their foreign comic strip and comic book division. So I went in with some samples, and they gave me a couple of assignments, and in a short time, they called me and said, would you like to come in and talk about your future? And I thought, oh, wow, a steady freelance gig. Yeah. But they said, would you like to come on staff? And in less time than it takes to tell, I said, yes. And so I told Russ I'm going to work at Disney. And that's when I found out that this guy who always wanted to draw Tarzan and Flash Gordon and that kind of stuff, that my bag turned out to be Bigfoot. Funny animals. (laughs) And some of the best work I ever did especially for the Disney stores in my last seven years of the 21-plus years I did Disney art. I did some large, like, murals, 16 by 22, and I just started in the middle. And when I was finished, I sat back and went, hell, did I do this? Because all the time, Jack is looking over my shoulder in my head and saying, tell a story, Mike, do it your way. And that's the influence that Jack had on me, was never to be afraid of a blank piece of paper, Tell a story and do it your way. Jack Kirby left an influence on you as you were working on the Disney products for a long time. I think the best work I did at Disney is because in my mind, I'm thinking about the things that Jack told me. Jack, when he would talk to aspiring cartoonists, the point he would make is do it your way. You know, don't don't ape me. And I learned a lot from Jack. The first person I learned visual storytelling from was Russ Manning that any idiot knows to go from panel one to panel two and three. But if the artist is a good visual storytelling, there are design elements in each panel that makes you go into the next panel exactly where he wants you to go first. And then read it, and then it's something that shoves you or down the page into the next panel. So when I say storytelling, that's what I mean. And the two masters I worked with were Russ Manning and Jack Kirby. And... When I worked on the Marvel superheroes, I met guys that I learned things from, like um, Mel Kiefer 
and uh, oh geez, uh, come on, Mike, created Johnny Quest. Oh, Doug Wildy. Yeah, Doug Wildy. Doug was a kick in the pants, and Doug is when I realized that most cartoonists, when they draw women, are drawing their wife. Jack was drawing Roz, and and Wildy was drawing his wife. When I met her, it was like. Oh, God, that's Lady Dormer from Submariner, you know, yeah. from the cartoons. And uh, you, you draw the things I guess you're familiar with. But I had the people I met, the Sparky Morris, the Mike Aarons. Mike Aarons was an artist who was one of the backbones of artists at Western Publishing who was unknown. And superhero comic fans don't like to admit the fact that Dell and then Gold Key Comics until the late 60s, outsold Marvel and DC combined. But guys like Mike Aarons and Sparky Moore, and until he was allowed to sign Magnus, Russ Manning, were these unknown talents. And as a kid, I remember loving the Buck Jones cowboy comic books. And most of them were drawn by Mike Aarons. And now I'm working with Mike Aarons. And because we hit it off personally, I worked with him on a moonlighting project where, of all things, he was penciling and lettering, and I was inking, a Batman comic strip that only appeared in the southern states and a shopping newspaper. And it was based on the 60s TV show. And the only th- record I have of those are some Thermofax copies that are now have turned so brown. One day I'll run across a collector who actually got those Sunday shopping supplements that has that Batman strip. For me, I've had a really nice career. Yeah where a lot of things have happened because I met somebody who I had a rapport with and they recommended me for something. Because the first thing Jack Kirby ever said to me was, I said, hello? He says, Mike Royer, this is Jack Kirby. Alex Toth says you're a pretty good anchor. And then I went out to his house and sat at his board and inked his Marvel Mania biography piece with him looking over my shoulder every 15 minutes. And then breaking for lunch, Roz makes sandwiches. I met his two daughters. You know, Lisa was just a little thing then. And from that time on, I felt like extended Kirby family. And that's the effect they had on people. Sometimes people ask me, what was it like on the daily routine of inking Jack? And I can't remember because I was too busy doing it. What I remember is sitting in the kitchen eating Roz's homemade chocolate cake sipping a glass of milk and talking to Roz and Jack and listening to his memories of Warner Brothers movies. I've said this many times when people ask me, what is the basic difference between you, me, and Joe Sinnott? And if you know anything about the motion picture studio system and the dichotomy in the into the 50s is that Joe Sinnott inked Jack Kirby MGM. I inked Jack Kirby Warner Brothers. And that's about the best way I can explain it. Now, people who understand what I'm saying go, you're absolutely right. Because Joe, you know, like MGM and all the stars in the universe and the slickness and the gloss of their productions, that's Joe Sinnott inking Jack. And me, it's just Warner Brothers programmer. The only thing on the page is what is necessary to tell the story. And I love Joe Sinnott's work. I first saw his work in the Buster Brown free comic book that as a kid I loved to pick up because there was the Neil O'Keefe Jungle Boy drawings or stories. And I remember a science fiction story that Joe, yeah, that Joe Sinnott signed it. And so I knew who he was. 
And uh, I have great respect and admiration for the man. He is a phenomenal talent. But I want to say this, and I don't want it to sound egotistical. It's realistic. And, and Ross confirmed it at the wake after Jack was interred. People would say, who was Jack's favorite inker? And he would say Mike Royer. Before that, he was very political. He'd say, well, Frank Giacoy's got these strengths and so on and so forth. But what Jack realized shortly after I did that first piece, it was my baptism of fire, and it was him seeing that it came from my hand and how I worked under pressure. And after that, he began to realize how faithful I was because I grew up on Jack Kirby comic books, and I knew instinctually when I was looking at stories in the Simon and Kirby books that it came from one man's hand. At the time, I didn't know whether it was Simon or Kirby. But so I was raised on this, and I would look at his occasional pencil page in a fanzine in the mid-60s and ask the question, why is no one inking Jack? Now, I inked a Ramona Fraden plastic man one time and got us the most pages I've ever inked. Five pages a day of Ramona Fraden. And she said the nicest thing to me. She said it's the first time anyone has ever inked Ramona Fraden. Oh, I see. And she said if I were still doing Brenda Starr and you were available, you'd be inking me. Well, I took that as a compliment because my philosophy has always been if I'm inking someone else, I want it to look like they had inked it. You know, I was supposed to be basically invisible. Johnny, uh, uh, John Verporten at Marvel called me once after I had inked a couple of Don Heck Kazars. And he said, Mike, I'm not really that happy with the work. And I said, well, what's wrong? He says, well, I wanted you to do a Joe Sinan ink job on Heck. And I said, John, there are two things you didn't tell me. Number one, that you wanted me to do a Joe Sinan ink job. And number two, how much more you were going to pay me to do it. So if my name were on those books, I'm pretty sure that you'd swear Don Heck had inked it himself because I was completing Don Heck's pencils. But, you know, tell me what you want, John, and if you're going to pay me more to do it. I have two questions from a fan slash historian perspective. First, you penciled Keith Geffen on the Defenders issue 49 and 50, and Keith Geffen kind of started out with a very Kirby-inspired look. Did your inks make it look more Kirby-like, or did the pencils look more Kirby-like already? Well, I don't think there was anything I could have done as an inker to make it more Kirby-like, because I would be futzing with his pencils, which to me was like being an abortionist. I remember when I inked the Paul Norris Tarzan comic books for Gold Key for Western Publishing, and the editor wanted me to give it a Russ Manning ink job. And I think of the first issue or so, I tried to do that. But I started feeling like an abortionist because it wasn't Paul Norris anymore. So you told me the other night something really fascinating, this really interesting lunch between Bern Hogarth, Jack Kirby, you and Roz were there. Tell us about that. Well, uh, Jack and I, for several years, were volunteer judges at an art competition between junior high and high school students in Orange County. You know, some very famous people came out of it, like Rick Holberg, who's up in Seattle now. And Bern Hogarth was a judge one year, and Bern and Jack, two of the greatest exponents of dynamic artwork, Roz and I went to lunch. And for 90 minutes, Roz and I sat there grinning and rolling our eyes to the ceiling because Jack and Bern 
were arguing. Now, not a strong argument, but they were disagreeing with each other. And what Roz and I were amused by was the fact that they were both saying the same thing, but in different languages. Uptown, erudite, sophisticated Bern Hogarth and his $100 words, and Jack Kirby, the street fighter from the mean streets of New York City, in his language, and neither one of them recognized the fact that they were saying the same thing. And that was just, to me, that, that was a great lunch, because... I admire both men, if I can segue, the year I won an inkpot at Comic-Con, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm in the doorway of an all-night party about to go in, and there's a hand on my shoulder, and I turn around, and it's Fern Hogarth. And he says, well, we got ours, kid. And I was thinking, damn, Bern, you should have gotten it the first year. But uh, I have a photograph at home that I laughingly refer to as three Tarzan artists. It's at the 1968 World Science Fiction Convention in Los Angeles, and Bern Hogarth was displaying his artwork for his Watson Guptill's Tarzan of the Ape color book. And it's Bern Hogarth on my right, Russ Manning on my left, and I'm in the middle, and I've got shoulder-length hair, the Van Dyke, and a headband. (laughs) And I call that three Tarzan artists. There are a lot of people who, when they hear that about me, they can't imagine me in shoulder-length hair and a headband. And <laughs> But that was the late 60s, you know. Toward the end of your Kirby time inking, you went over to Disney, and you worked there for like 20-plus years. Well, I was on staff for a little over 14 years, and I got tired of what I was seeing in the department politics. I wasn't a big fan of the... Uh, policies of the head of the department and I thought I'd either take a 44 Magnum to work or take her to lunch buy a glass of wine hold her hand and say Susan you've heard me talk about how life is an adventure she says you say that a lot I said well I'm quitting and she was so upset that she blacklisted me for seven years, not realizing that I was her greatest resource on the outside because I had retooled the whole look of the Pooh characters, which ultimately outsold Mickey Mouse worldwide based on the stylization that I used and they signed off on. But the Disney stores called me. I don't know how they heard about it. And they said, please come work for us. You'll never be out of work. You don't have to come in. And I never signed the work for hire contract. And it was the most creative years of my 21 plus with Disney were those seven plus years as an independent contractor for the Disney stores. Because I was able to, on the weekends, moonlight for Warner Brothers and Hanna-Barbera. And thanks to having a wife who was great with numbers, when we left California and I moved back to my home state of Oregon, we paid cash for the house. Because she knew how much to put on the principal every month. So the house, our second house in Simi Valley, California, which we'd been in for three years, was well over half paid for. Well, that's great. Well, you deserve it. it. Nothing to do with the interview, but it's just... Well, you deserve that because you've worked hard, really, your whole life. And your work ethic, your creativity, and your skills really show. Mike Royer, thanks for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Thank you. I'm flattered that you were interested.